I'm grateful for it now. There is some gratitude for that period of my life because my life would never be what it is now without it. And that lesson has carried me through the breast cancer as well. Because the hardest thing I think about any any tragedy that you go through, any trauma or whatever you want to call it, is just getting through it. It's just being in it and getting through it. And if you can, in those moments, say, I know that there's going to be a light at the end of this tunnel. And that's only something that you could really learn with experience, unfortunately. So because I had been down that road before, I knew through breast cancer, even in my darkest moments, okay, there is going to be a light at the end of this tunnel. And Welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast with your host, Tina Conroy. Gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. Explore spiritual topics, including intuition, healing, wellness, yoga, vibrant living, and more. Hello, everyone. Tina here. Thank you so much for joining today. Today is the last episode of Trouble to Triumph. Thank you so very much for all your input and your support during these six weeks. And today, my guest is Jen Rosenbaum. Jen Rosenbaum went very public with her diagnosis of breast cancer. And she really gets raw and real and vulnerable as we speak about how she found it, which was very unusual. She had a very unusual area where it was found and how she went through the entire process very publicly. And her thoughts were, and she still to this day, is really getting to be public so that even one woman can hear her story and know and feel and be supportive and maybe continue to do checks and to listen to their body and to also know that not to take no for an answer, that we really know our bodies uh, very, very well. So please share this episode with anyone that you know regarding cancer of any type or breast cancer. I'm going to leave all the information for Jen in the show notes. Jen is in the process of really being with women, helping women, and she works uh, as a boudoir photographer. So I will leave all the information and I love her her branding. I love her name. It's Shamelessly Feminine and she definitely is Shamelessly Feminine so that all women can be empowered and to feel shameless about their life, their purpose, and their bodies. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Hey, Jen, welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. So I have so much that I want to speak about, and I know there's so much to share with the listeners. And first of all, I'm really appreciative that you are coming on to Trouble to Triumph, sharing your story, being vulnerable. And we never know who's listening. And I know there are women out there that need to hear the story. So thank you. Yes. Thank you for sharing it because it means a lot to me to share the story. And it's been a purpose of mine since the beginning. So thank you for helping me do that. You're welcome. So just in case the listeners don't know you, don't know your story, let's take them back a little bit to that trouble, to that obstacle, that oh my God moment. Or even if you want to take us back a little bit before that, just to bring them up to pace. Sure. Well, I'll give you a little tiny 
bit of a background of who I am. Um, my name is Jen, obviously, and I am a photographer on Long Island. I am actually a boudoir photographer. So I work with women, um, mostly in women's empowerment. So I take pictures of women that maybe are a little sexy, but the idea behind them is not that it's sexual. It's really about empowerment and loving your body and celebrating who you are uniquely and shamelessly. And I got into that. And I don't even know if you know this, but I got into that area of photography because I personally was struggling with infertility. And it was between my two children. And it's a kind of a long story, which I'll save for another day. But the the point is that I went through things like miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies and surgeries. And uh, it was a little bit of a dark time in my life. So I took to photography and teaching myself photography as a distraction through that. And I want to mention that since so much of this podcast is about the um, triumph of that. And so I have this beautiful blossoming career now that I would never have had if I didn't struggle through infertility. So that's what I do in a nutshell. I work with women's empowerment and um, I have sort of built this community around it. And um, this, and I've worked with a lot of women through divorce, through marriage, through um, death of spouses, through things like illnesses and cancers and um, maybe ironically and maybe not um, back in July of last year, I myself was diagnosed with breast cancer. I have to just go back because I did not know any of that. I thought you were a photographer forever. I had no idea that this was birthed out of another really deep, dark trouble and period of your life. And I'm so sorry to hear that about the infertility and all that you went through. But then birthing this whole career, I see you as someone that's done this forever. So amazing how the empowerment has something comes out of that. And now this is where you empower other women. I had no idea. So thank you so much for sharing that. That means yeah, so much. You're welcome. Yeah. And you know, it's uh, so I've been doing photography for about nine years and I did eventually have a second child who will be nine in September. So, <laughs> um, but it's funny because when I was in the thick of it and Tina, we know each other a little bit. I think you know that I'm a pretty positive person. I'm not yes. one to get to, into dark places, but that period of my life was dark and it was really uncomfortable for me to be in that dark place. And so photography helped me because I was able to put a camera in front of my face. And so I could be at like a baby naming or a bris, but I didn't really have to be super present because I would leave those places just bawling and depressed mm. that, you know, why isn't it me with the baby? I don't understand. But I'm not... I'm grateful for it now. There is some gratitude for that period of my life because my life would never be what it is now without it. And that lesson has carried me through the breast cancer as well. Because the hardest thing I think about any any tragedy that you go through, any trauma or whatever you want to call it, is just getting through it. It's just being in it and getting through it. And if you can, in those moments, say, I know that there's going to be a light at the end of this tunnel... And that's only something that you could really learn with experience, unfortunately. So because I had been down that road before, I knew through breast cancer, even in my darkest moments, okay, there is going to be a light at the end of this tunnel. And I mean, we'll get into that story, but there's still moments where I'm still looking for that light now. You know, it takes time. Right. And what I was going to say is almost like, I would say spirit, your spirit prepared you for this because yeah. all of that that you went through, there was probably periods of time, even in your darkest moment, you said, okay, if I got through that, I can get through this. Yes. Right? So you were able to track back and say, I can do this because if I did that, I can do this. And that that's that human connection and that what I call our spirit to mm-hmm. connect us and say, okay, spirit was preparing me for this. Not that anybody ever wanted to go through this, but if those things didn't happen, 
you may not have had the mindset and the positive mindset to do what you're doing now and how to get through it. Not saying that you haven't had your darkest, darkest days, but... Yeah, yeah, 100% because that mindset is a muscle just like anything else, right? I tell people all the time, you can't go out and go to the gym once and do a couple of bicep curls and have muscles. It just doesn't work like that. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant practice and it will never get easy. If it's easy, it means it's not working. So yes, it prepared me. And it, it also made me realize that things that are happening in the moment that don't seem to make sense will make sense one day. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. We talk about this so much on the podcast and I talk about it so many times with my clients. It's that intuition. It's that hit. It's that knowingness. It's saying, okay, everything will be okay. I'm going to rise up before or listen to that voice. And it all... You know, again, it's not something fun. It's not something we want to go through, but they're all lessons and we take them as lessons. Yeah. And it's also an acknowledgement of like, it's not okay today. And that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. To, that's something I really learned through my cancer journey is like, I'm having a bad day and it's okay to have a bad day. I don't have to positive think myself out of everything because then you're also sort of denying those emotions. And especially with infertility and cancer, and I'm sure a million other things that your listeners have been through, those emotions are real and they will come back and haunt you if you don't deal with them. So just to know it's okay not to always be okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you have to live in the darkness. You have to have the moments. You have to feel it. Because if you don't feel it it's exactly, it's going to come like a waterfall. It's going to knock you down on your ass, right? Like yeah. it just has to really be in the moments that you're in and allow yourself to feel them. And that's that's what I loved listening to you and watching your journey. And before we even get there, take us back a little bit, if you don't mind. Take us back to that moment when you found out. Yeah. So July 10th, 2017, I went for a semi-routine sonogram. Um, I had been having mom- mammograms and sonograms since I was 40. Then immediately on my first mammogram, they found some calcification. So they asked me to come back six months just to check it. I went back in six months. It looks good, but we see some, you know, or maybe at that point they said, come back in another six months. If it looks the same, we'll go to a year. So I went back another six months, which was January of 2017. And they said to me, your calcifications look fine, but you have some cysts on your right breast that we want to check. So come back in six months. And that was July. So between January and July, there was a period of time where I felt something unusual on my breast and it was sort of higher up on my breast. It wasn't sort of in like the thicker part of the breast or the, I don't know what the right word is for that, but it, you know, it's, it was more toward my chest area where it was a little bit more obvious that there was something. And, And what happened was I can't exactly remember when, I think it was around February. I took a selfie because you know I do a lot of social media stuff for my business. I took a selfie and in the selfie I noticed that there was a little shadow that made me think there was a bump there that there was something going on you know and if I wasn't a photographer ironically I probably wouldn't have even noticed. Sure. Um, and I started feeling around and I felt a little something but you know I was working out a lot at the time I had lost a little weight it felt like a muscle and I figured that's all it was and it would kind of come and go which I realized after it wasn't coming and going, it was just that I had very cystic breasts. So if I would be around my period, my breasts would swell, so I wouldn't feel it as much. And then it would come back. And then I said to my husband um, at one point, maybe even around this time of year, you know, around May, June of last year, I feel this thing. Like, have you ever felt this before? It's really strange. And he felt it and he said, it feels like a muscle. And I was like, yeah, right. It feels like a muscle. Okay. I'm not worried about it. And he said to me, if you're worried, call the doctor. I'm like, 
I was just there in January, you know, like, well, how this thing is pretty big. Like, well, how could that have even happened between January and now? I have an appointment in six weeks. I'll go in six weeks. Well, it's interesting because that area is something that, and I know the listeners can't see because they're pointing, but it's way up on your chest. Like yeah. I totally can feel like a pectoral muscle or yeah. maybe doing some weights, even some yoga, whatever that I would say the same thing. Like, oh, this is not really the breast. This is really, truly a muscle. Yes. And the reason why I really think it's so important for people to understand that, which I'll get to in a second, is because my cancer felt different than I think we're trained to feel for. So I'll explain in just a second. But um, essentially, I I already had an appointment. It was July 10th. I went in, they did a sonogram to check my cyst. They said, your cysts look fine. And it was almost even like an afterthought. I said to them, you know what, while I'm here, can you do me a favor and look at this thing that I've been feeling? And I mean, I am not a technician. I don't, I can't read sonograms, but all I know is this gigantic black hole showed up on the screen and the radiologist like almost like jumped back, you know, so surprised to see it. And she was like, let me get the doctor. And, and Mm -hmm. it's that moment where you're like, oh, something's not right here, but you're, you know, you're in denial. You're like, what, what could it be? And the doctor just said to me, I'm not letting you leave here without a biopsy. So um, he biopsied me and he sat me down and he said, I'm I'm lucky to go to one of those places, which I highly recommend to people that give you the results right away of your uh, mammograms and sonograms. He said to me, um, so they put a titanium marker in, by the way, and they did a mammogram and it didn't show up on the mammogram at all, even though they knew where it was. So this is important to understand also. So I Wow, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I tell people all the time, you must have sonograms, especially if you have dense breasts, you must, must, must have sonograms. So he explained to me what he saw and, you know, all I'm hearing is blah, 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 blah. And then my husband came in right towards the end because I had texted him like, something's going on here. I don't really know what's happening, but I think you need to come here. And at the end, the doctor said, um, you know, this is what I see. This is what I think. And, and so my husband said, well, if it's not cancer, what could it be? And the doctor said to me, there's nothing else it can be. Mm. And this is not based on any looking of the cells or anything. He said, I have seen a lot of things. I'm telling you right now, prepare yourself. Okay. So, you know, the next two days I spent trying to convince my mother that I had cancer because (laughs) she was like, no, I have a good feeling. It'll be fine. And I'm like, no, mom, you're not hearing me. You need to prepare yourself. There's something going on here. So July 12th, I got the phone call that it was indeed cancer. And I had what was called invasive lobular carcinoma. So there's two main types of breast cancer. There's lobular and there's ductal. Most women get ductal cancer Um, and ductal cancer is when it grows in your ducts and it feels like a lump. There's a protein that, that allows the cancer cells to stay together and form a lump. So that's technically what you feel for when you're doing your self exams. That's what we're taught to feel for, right? Lobular cancer does not have that protein to keep the cells together. So what happens is it grows within the lobules of the breast and it makes the lobules swell. So it feels like a muscle versus a lump. So there was no lump at all. It was just like a swollen lobule. And that's what I was feeling. And honestly, if I had not had my mammogram already scheduled and my sonogram scheduled, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about you know, waiting. Right. You could have waited a year. Like yeah. right? everyone waits. A, I mean, it's like, okay, I did my year. I'll wait another year. Everything seemed good. Exactly. So, and in theory, there was nothing there in January. So between January and July, it ended up that I had a seven centimeter mass in my breast and I had another mass underneath it. And the sonogram didn't even pick up the whole thing. The sonogram only picked up about three centimeters and the, and the MRI as well. So it wasn't until I had a mastectomy, which... So I was diagnosed July 12th, August 2nd, I had a bilateral mastectomy. My doctor said, your breast was littered with cancer. And 
you know, it didn't show up on anything up until that point. So um, I'm really an advocate for self-examination because, and really standing up for yourself. And if you feel anything to say something, because I always say that cancer, you know, people say all the time, you're a warrior and you fought and you beat cancer. You don't beat cancer. You find it early enough. That is how you beat cancer right? Like I didn't beat cancer because I'm stronger than the next person. Mm -hmm. I beat cancer because I found it early enough and I was lucky. And that's how cancer works. So never, ever, ever be afraid to say something to your doctor. And to be diligent and to always stay with something doesn't feel right. It doesn't, even though it's not a nodule or a bump or the way it's supposed to, something's not right. And I'm going to keep pushing at it because you could have, even in that moment, even when you were leaving the sonogram, you could have very easily said, oh, I'm just going to go. Everyone's, she or he said it was fine, right? Mm-hmm. But you were like, you know, by the way, let's check this. And, and that is also those little, you know, intuitive hits of, let me just figure this out. Even though you could have been saying, oh, it's probably nothing and it's probably the gym and it's probably a muscle. There was that little, little voice that kept saying, no, let's get it checked. Yeah. And thank goodness you did. Because in that moment, you could have walked out the door. It could have been another year. Yes. And now, were you given a choice of different surgeries or it was pretty clear cut? Because I know yeah. that people are going to be thinking that as well. Like, could you have done this or could you have done that? Yeah. So this is super interesting because um, I always... You know, you go to the doctor your entire life and you say, I have strep and they give you penicillin, right? Or I have whatever and they give you an antibiotic. And there's like disease or illness and then there's medicine. When you go in for cancer, it's not like that. There is no, there's one way to do it. There's about 400 ways to do it. And then they lay it out for you and they go, which one do you want? And you're like, well, wait, I know nothing about this. Not to mention I'm in a fog and I, you know, I, I don't know what's happening with my life and what's the best answer. And they don't tell you what the best answer is. So what happened was my, there was about a week between my diagnosis and when I first saw a doctor. And that is the hardest week of anybody's life because you have no idea where the cancer is at, what your prognosis is, what your treatment's going to be, nothing. And it's super scary and your mind goes to super, super dark places. But within that week, I decided if it was an option given to me, I was going to have a mastectomy. And I decided that without any knowledge whatsoever. (laughs) And so I really recommend, and I'm going to explain a little bit, people do their research. If it was a smaller lump and it was... So it was offered to me that I could either have a lumpectomy and radiation, I could have a single mastectomy, or I could have a bilateral mastectomy, which is both breasts. And you have the option of doing nipple sparing or not nipple sparing. And I let my family know, I said to my mother, especially, I just want to let you know if it's given to me as an option, I'm going to choose a double mastectomy. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm, I'm done with this. It's not worth my life. But here's the thing that, that you learn afterwards. A lump, depending on this, the situation and how big the cancer is and the type of cancer and the stage that you're at, something like a lumpectomy and radiation is just as effective as a mastectomy if not more so, they're starting to kind of understand. Um, so it might not be necessarily, you know, necessary to have a mastectomy. And I always thought, well, if you have a mastectomy, then the breast cancer can't come back. So just get rid of my breasts. I mean, that's kind of what I made the decision on. It's not true. 
So that should not be a factor in your decision-making. Cancer cells can escape and they can go to other parts of your body and they can still live in certain areas of your breast. Like if they miss a tiny little bit of tissue, even if they miss a cell when they have a mastectomy and the cancer you know, is still there and it, comes, it can still come back. So you know, knock wood, it will not. But in my case, because my mass was so large and because of the placement of it, a lumpectomy wasn't going to work. And I felt a single mastectomy would look ridiculous. I'm only, at the time, I was only 41 years old. You know, I didn't want to, I felt I still had life ahead of me. You know, I want to look good. And so I opted for the bilateral mastectomy. And so what I said to my doctor was, well, if I told you I wanted a bilateral mastectomy, would you think I'm crazy? And she said, I think you're making the right choice. So she let me choose, but she let me know it was the right choice. And it was the right choice because when they removed the other breast, they looked at the tissue there also. And I had something in that breast called LCIS, which is lobular carcinoma in situ, which means that the the cells have started. They haven't left the area. So in situ means it sort of stayed where it, it was started and they don't treat it as cancer, but it's an indication that cancer is possible. And so for me to just, because I had lobular carcinoma versus ductal and it's so much harder to find and it's so sneaky. I was like, you can have them both. (laughs) I just, you know, I'm done with them. (laughs) It's so interesting because I never, I, I was under the same impression until you just spoke that if I was, it was like, well, it's the the way. There is only one way because if they, if I just remove it, then it's the way. And I never really heard it that way that, well, one, that they give you so many choices. You would think they would say, this is what I want you to do. I think you would almost want that. But so there's all these options and all these choices, but I never thought about it that way that, you know, I would think the same thing. Like, oh, I would never even go for a lumpectomy because that's such the unsafe route. And I'll go for a double mastectomy because then it will never come back and I'll be completely safe and everything life, you know, will go on. So thank you for sharing. It just doesn't work like that. And that's, that's something that I didn't know. And it's something that I, I think is a misnomer. And I realize it now because the things that people say to me sometimes, you know, I talk a lot, I'm very public about my journey. And I talk a lot about the things that people say to you, like, Oh, what are you worried about? Your boobs going to look better than ever. Or, you know, like certain insensitive and in quotes, insensitive comments that I realized I also said before this, because I didn't understand it. And even with the nipple sparing, this was a big conversation back and forth because I said to my surgeon, you know, well, can I keep my nipples? Cause if I have my nipples and at least maybe I'll recognize my breasts a little bit, right. It's still part of me. And she said, she doesn't recommend it. She said to me, they're, right now they're showing if the, you leave your nipples, there's like a 2% chance that the cancer comes back. She said, but I'm starting to see it's happening more and more. And in 20 years, who knows what it's going to be. So if you really want to get rid of all the tissue and all the cells, I highly recommend not sparing your nipples. So I did not. And you know, sure enough, actually, I met another woman who had a a mastectomy because she was positive for BRCA and she had it because her mother had breast cancer. So she did it before she got cancer and she kept her nipples and it turned out she ended up getting breast cancer in her nipple. After all of that, had to go through another surgery, another mastectomy technically to get rid of all that. So, and the thing is we're still guinea pigs. There is no cure for this disease and there's no one treatment that's right for everybody. So you're still a guinea pig and they're guessing and you're guessing and you're like, I hope this is going to work, you know? So it's, it's part of the stress. As you're saying, like the insensitive comments, I can relate. I had three miscarriages between my son and my daughter. Mm. And so I, everybody would say, oh, but you already have a child. 
right. oh, you already have a child. And I'd be like, ah. or they'd say, I don't know. They would just, I, I think that was the biggest one that I got because yeah. it was like, well, you already have a child. So be grateful. And, and I'm like, okay. So, and I felt like so insensitive. And, yeah. and again, I don't know, maybe I have been a person that's been insensitive and said things like, oh, you'll be whatever. It's not until we're in those places that people will say the most insensitive things and you're like, oh my goodness. But yeah. you, you know, you have to, that's interesting. And I want to get to that and talk about because you did, you went very public. Mm-hmm. And can you share you in public even before the surgery? You went public even to announce to your community and you have a very strong community. So how was that? What went through your mind? What were you thinking? Or do, were you just, you knew that you wanted to share this so someone else would hear it and just be, it's such a cathartic thing. Yeah. Once I decided that I was going to have the mastectomy, I felt much more powerful than I had felt the week before when I didn't know what was going on. And I felt I was taking charge of the situation. And I was just thinking about all the women that follow me and the women that I photographed and the community that I have and the people that I can reach. And I thought, oh my God, what if somebody else is going through this right now? And they don't know. I have a responsibility. This isn't even a matter of, you know, I need to do it to make myself feel better. I have a responsibility to be open about this. And the the thing is about being open about it is that it gives it purpose because without purpose, it's just disease. And I've been through this before where I know that there's purpose in these moments of life. And I decided that, you know, with infertility, the photography came out of it. So there's my purpose. Great. But it was sort of serendipitous. This, I decided I'm going to take control and I'm going to make a purpose and I'm going to give myself something to feel good about in moments where I don't feel good. And I know if I can save one other person's life, then my journey had purpose. And um, so after I decided I had was going to have the surgery, so between then and actually having the surgery, which wasn't so long because I was diagnosed July 12th, saw a doctor July 19th and had the mastectomy August 2nd. Oh, wow. Very, which, very... Very soon, which by the way, was two days before my birthday. And everyone was like, your birthday? I was like, listen, the best birthday present I can give myself is another, you know, hundred years of life. So it's all good. But I, I went public, I went to Facebook live and I announced that I had breast cancer and I explained everything I've explained to you, what it felt like, how I found it, every detail. I cried an ugly cry. And I kind of wished I had done my hair because it went semi-viral. You know, viral for me, it was about 135,000 views, something like that. And um, since then, I've made a whole bunch of videos leading up to the... You know, it was the day before the surgery. I've done Instagram stories the day of the surgery. Um, I did one once a week after my surgery with updates on you know how I was feeling and what my um, recovery was like. And I've put a lot of them on YouTube. Not all of them, but a lot of them on YouTube. I did a video on like, stop saying these stupid things to me. Or you know if one more person sends me a video that lemons cures cancer, you know, lemon cures cancer, I'm going to pop you in the head. And just anything I was feeling or going through in the moment. And to this day, I get at least one message a day from somebody that's like, I had a mammogram because of you. Thank you. Or my mom was going through chemotherapy and she watched your videos and you really inspired her. Or Jen, I have a question. I feel this thing. What do you think I should do about it? Or, you know, and I'm not a doctor. Like I want to make that really clear. I'm not a doctor, but I can help guide people into answers and like how to find the answers. Because when you are, when you feel something or you're diagnosed, you go through this like craziness in your brain. Like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? I'm freaking out. 
I'm able to say to them, stop freaking. This is what you need to do. <laughs> you know, right. call this doctor, do this thing. And I've gotten a lot of messages from women who didn't have cancer, who just are going through autoimmune disease or anything in their life that they're struggling with. And they just say, I just thought to myself, if Jen can do it, I can do it too. So it was, and it still is giving me purpose. You know, it's interesting. I've I've seen a lot of them. I don't think I've seen all of them, but one stood out to me. Well, a, a lot of them have stood out to me, but one that I can actually want to connect with and talk about because I always wanted to talk to you about this mm. is I remember one where... I, I don't know if I'm going to remember exactly, but it was something to the effect that somebody was like, you need to eat this certain thing. And, and, and I remember you saying to the fact of... It almost made it feel as if you did something wrong right? So you shouldn't have had this or you shouldn't have had that. And so, and I know you're a very healthy person because you've said that out publicly and you said, I don't do this and I do that. And then I go, but isn't that interesting that we think that we brought this thing on, right? Like, well, I don't eat meat or I don't, or you do, or you don't, it doesn't matter. But like, if you're hit the line, like, well, I do yoga every day and I'm a vegan and I don't eat dairy and I exercise and I'm in my optimal BMI, then you're in this perfect prime. But if you so it's almost like somebody was asking you, I guess, and maybe I'm not rephrasing it right, but I remember being so clear and going, oh my God, that's so stupid and crazy because then it makes you look like the victim mm-hmm. that if you had done something different than this, like, oh my, you shouldn't live in the North Shore of Long Island. Right. Clearly that's right. percentage. First you of all, move off Long Island. Like you need to move. Yes. I literally was telling, this is like, this is true story. So I was literally telling my daughter, no, actually it was a couple of weeks ago, I had a Reiki client and she's very active in the Manhasset Breast Cancer Coalition. Mm-hmm. And she asked if I would do something with Reiki. I said, absolutely. And she said, now this was a month ago and I hope I don't ruin the statistics, but she said since January, they had gotten 10 cases that contacted Manhasset Coalition. Now I don't know where the people are and that's just 10 people that contacted them. And I'm going, 10? since January, this was March. And the number kept running in my head. And so I I told, I think I told my daughter who's 20 and she goes, well, then we should move. We need to move. Like, it was just like, why are you living there? Mm. And I'm like, oh, well, then that brought up a whole bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. But can you speak to that point about the people, the person, I'm not singling anybody out, generality of people that say, well, eat this, or Mm -hmm. maybe you should have done frankincense oil or something like that. Yeah. So one of the things that happens when you're first diagnosed, at least in my situation, was your brain starts going crazy. How did I get this? Because you're right. I am the juice drinker, yoga, Reiki. You know, I mean, I am, I thought I was at least a picture of great health. I always took care of myself and worked out and did all the right things. You know, I use the natural soap, I use the, you know, whatever. And so people would start posting on there, um, you know, you should really be vegan or you should, you know, there's this video that was going around, like I said before, the frozen lemon peels is stronger than chemotherapy. And um, you shouldn't eat this and you should do that. And so that starts going on in your head. Like, did I do something? What did I do? And then, so I remember the first week I lost like seven pounds in the first week after being diagnosed because not only did I not really have an appetite, but everything I looked at, I was like, is that, is that going to cause cancer? Right. Does that cause cancer? Should I put that in my body? Maybe I just shouldn't eat it, you know, or... It's like all of a sudden you question everything. Is the shampoo I'm using? Is it is it the clothes? Is it where I'm living? Did I drink the water? Like what what happened? How did I get this? And the truth is, it's one of those things that we're never going to know. It could be genetic. It I mean, I, I had genetic testing. It all came back negative, but they let me know there's a lot of genetics that they don't even know yet. So it could be a genetic component. 
could be an environmental component from when I was growing up or from recently. It could be a shot that I got when I was a kid that just triggered, you know, cancer cells. It could be anything. And I've had to come to terms with the fact that I just don't know what it is. And, and in that case, I don't know what to do to prevent it either from coming back or, you know, so yes, yeah, so do I eat healthy? Do I go to the gym? Yes, but please don't put me on your diet of like, and don't even suggest it because I think it's it's actually really rude because it does, it victimizes me and it says, well, you know, you weren't eating the right thing. If you only did this, then you wouldn't have gotten cancer. And Tina, I will admit, I was on that high horse, you know, before all of this, I would say to people, oh, you should try this or you should do that. It worked for me, you know, you know and I'm, I'm super healthy and this is what I do. And I will never, ever do that again because the truth is we're all different what works for one might not work for another. And, you know, ironically, I was actually on the keto diet for seven months before I was diagnosed. And they say that keto is, you know, one of those things that you can do to prevent cancer. And I always think to myself, I wonder if it did, or I wonder if like, maybe if I wasn't on keto, it would have been worse, you know, like, because then I go, well, it didn't work, you know, but maybe it did work. Maybe I would have had a 10 centimeter mass if I was, you know, so I don't know, you know, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. After I was diagnosed and I had my surgery, I was like, pass the donuts because this green juice doesn't work. You know? Right, like, right. Well, that's the, other, that's the other part, you know, and it's like, and I'm going to refer back to, you know, the miscarriage for a minute with me. I remember thinking to myself, don't do this and don't do that. And I have to do this. And my, my mother-in-law at the time told me I couldn't get my nails polished mm-hmm. and all these things. And then I would say to myself, okay, wait a minute. There are women getting pregnant in inner cities, having baby after baby after baby that they don't want, living in horrible conditions, eating McDonald's, not eating, like really like wait. And so I would get, I would remember that. Come on now. I'm not saying we should eat McDonald's every day or what, come on, there's a balance, but there has to be that has to, we have to let go of that victimization of what did I do wrong? And we only do the best we can. And to stop hearing that if I had the different shampoo and I got mm-hmm. my nail polished at such and such, you know, like you can go the other extreme too. And my, I know that. Like I had people that are just so extreme and I'm like, I can't anymore. I just, you, yeah. you need to stop. And I don't even have necessarily, knock on wood, something that I'm working with, but just health in general, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that. I can tell you that in the very beginning when I was diagnosed, it's funny how I'm so public now because in the beginning I was so scared of telling people because it was, first of all, you're delivering bad news to people, which you never want to do. But secondly, there was a feeling of shame and I had to really work through that feeling of shame. It was self-inflicted. It wasn't from anybody else, but I did go through that whole, what did I do to cause this? Because this is my fault. It's my body. I should be taking care of it. I should have done something differently, and I didn't. So there, there was that shame, and it was almost like saying to somebody, "I have cancer." It was like saying to them, "I didn't take care of myself." Wow. You know, and so I had to to work through that. Nobody that I told in my close, because I made sure all my close friends and family knew before I went public. I wasn't going to let anybody that I'm super close with find out on Facebook. So I let I made sure I let everybody know, and. Um, None of them made me feel shameful. In fact, they were all like, what? How does that even happen to somebody like you? But I really had to work through the shame. I think sometimes I still am. You know, the the recovery of this, the emotional recovery of this is way longer than the physical recovery. Mm. Wow. So take us through now. So you're very public. Mm -hmm. You're sharing your story. Good days and bad days. The Mm -hmm. raw, the ugly, the ugly cries, the, the happy moments. And 
take us through this process all the way through because there was a few surgeries, correct? Right. There's a couple of stages. So share with the listeners. So when I had my uh, mastectomy, they did what's considered immediate reconstruction. They put what's called muscle expanders in underneath my pectoral muscles and they filled them just a little bit with some saline. And what that does is it starts stretching your skin and your pectoral muscles to make room for implants for reconstruction. And they slowly fill those over the week. So um, very soon, actually, after your surgery, a week or two after your surgery, you go back and they start filling it with saline. And it's interesting because you lose feeling in your skin on your chest. So they'll poke you with a needle to fill it and you don't even feel it. It's it's kind of crazy. So they, they fill it slowly until they get to the point where they can't really fill it anymore. And at that point, you either sit with the expanders for about six weeks or so, and then you can exchange them out for implants. But in my case, I had to have chemotherapy. So um, you cannot have the surgery during chemotherapy because they are afraid, of course, of infection and you know your immune system is way down. So I had to wait until March to have uh, my reconstruction surgery. So I had my expanders in from August 2nd to March 12th. Uh, they're uncomfortable. They're annoying. They're hard. They're not natural looking, but under clothes, nobody would know. So at least you kind of get away with, you know, looking semi-normal. I had chemotherapy from September 18th. That was my first chemotherapy. And my last one was December 27th. So I went through a few months of chemotherapy and then they waited about a little bit of time after to make sure your immune system is back up. So I just had my exchange surgery about seven weeks ago. So that's some healing from that now. And, um, yeah. And I'm also, um, my, my cancer was estrogen and progesterone positive, which is a good thing to be hormone positive because they have a pill that you can take. Um, it means essentially that my cancer is hormone fed. So it feeds off of estrogen. So they want me to take something called tamoxifen for 10 years and tamoxifen blocks the cells from absorbing estrogen, which is good if you're trying to prevent cancer. So essentially if I do have any cancer cells left in my body, they will not be fed. Um, what's bad about it is you're depriving your body of estrogen and I'm only 42 years old. So, um, I am right now in some sort of menopause. Um, there's lots of hot flashes. There's lots of, um, body changes. There are some side effects that I'm dealing with insomnia. And, um, I don't know if I will ever feel normal again, like I did before my, my diagnosis, but as of right now, I'm working towards a new normal. Wow. A new normal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have... You know what? That's another thing that people say to me all the time. Oh, you're done now. Right. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, you don't ever get done. Right. Right. <laughs> like, you never get done. You never get done. Cause even if I wasn't on the medication, even if I, you know, you never get done. I still have these breast plant, breast implants in my body forever. I'll never have my breast back. I'll always be worried about it coming back. I'll, you know, there's always concern and fear and conscious effort to eat healthy and be better than you were before. And you're never done. And, and it's, such a, it's such a weird thing because like, this is the part of the journey I'm finding the hardest because it's when the support disappears, you know, not from close friends and family, but it's like people think, oh, well, she doesn't need me anymore. She's done. You know, place is closed on that. And I'm thinking, um, what am I supposed to be doing today? Like, I don't remember what my life was like before cancer, you know? So it's just a very interesting stage that I'm going through right now. That's what I would think. I would think that as you're going through it, it, there's like action steps and you have chemo appointments and you get, you know, you get a ride or you drive or then this is happening, then this is happening, then six weeks out, that's on your calendar. So not that your life wasn't still happening and you're a mom of two and a family and a business and all of that, but now it isn't over. 
And now it's like, oh, it's it's still all this other stuff, even though you're not going for all the doctor appointments. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you will be, you know, yes. initial timing, but it's not the same. But I I can really connect with that because I'm the kind of person if some kind of difficulty happens in my life, I kind of go through it and I'm very like, okay, but then it's like, it's kind of like unfortunately like a death. Mm-hmm. Like you're going through, you know, for us it's like a week and then it's the funeral and it's the burial and whatever that whatever it is, even if it's yeah. Shiva and the funeral, right? You go through the process and then all of a sudden, you know, the meals stop and the people start coming to the door and the people, you know, and they still love you and support you, but it's not to the same because they're like, oh, she's okay now, you know, right. she's good, you know. So they they can't the thing is about like the meals were great. I couldn't, you know, I was really, I mean, like leveled during chemotherapy, like the meals were great and the carpools were amazing and the phone calls were beautiful. And yes, they stopped, but I'm not even sure if they came back. That's not what I need right now. And Mm -hmm. what I need is not going to come from anybody else. What I need is only going to come from me and the healing and the it's only going to take time. It's only going to come internally and it's going to come through a lot of work. I will be like totally transparent. I started with a new therapist last week who said to me, so how have you coped with your cancer? And I said, well, I haven't yet because the truth is I've been busy kicking its butt. And now that I'm done doing that, I have to like, there's days where I go, wait, did I have cancer? Like did that really happen? Because when you have a treatment plan, you know what you're doing every day. You know, like you're like, all right, this is what I'm doing. I'm fighting cancer. I'm fighting cancer. Then when you're done, you're like, all right, well, I think I just went through the worst trauma of my life and I haven't had two minutes to even absorb that. So when she said to me, you know, what have you done to, you know, help yourself emotionally? And I said, I haven't. And I just started bawling. And I said, you know, it's like right here, like it's right in the throat. And I, and I, I said to her, you know, I, I'm scared to talk about it because it's going to be the Hoover Dam. If you open the dam, I'm not sure it's going to stop, you know? Um, So nobody can fix that for me. Only I can fix that. And I think that that's probably the downfall of where a lot of people... I don't want to say a judgmental thing because I almost just did. I almost did the whole like, people don't do this, right? Okay, (laughs) let's not do that. I think that it's very difficult for people, including myself to get through something physically like that and then to start handling the emotional stuff. It's very heavy and you want to kind of be done. You know, you're like, I want to just go back to my happy life. But I've realized that I'm not going to go back to a happy life unless I deal with the emotions of what I went through because I don't want them to come back and haunt me. And that's that's the healing part. You know, as as a Reiki practitioner, as a healer, I always say, well, first of all, we're always in a state of healing. And to know that even when we've gone through the trauma or we've gone through the appointments and we've done that, there is still more healing and maybe even more. Mm. So the fact that you acknowledge that to yourself and acknowledge that to your therapist that, you know what, I I haven't coped yet. I'm... Mm I'm just doing the best I can, you know, yeah. like that's huge. And, and I think women really need to hear that too, because it's exactly right. Like, well, look at Jen, Jen's doing good. That's over now. Right. Like she's, she's not doing chemo anymore. She's not doing treatments anymore. And so then, you know, it's over, mm-hmm. but like you said, it's not over. And this is just, this is, I don't want to say it's the beginning, but it's the journey. It's yeah. it. Yeah. It does feel like the beginning. It feels yeah. very like I'm at the bottom of the mountain, but the exciting part of it is like that mountain is to be built. 
Do you know what I mean? Like I get to build the mountain this time. I'm, I'm in control of that. And I get to decide what I want my life to look like now. And it's more poignant than ever that I am in control of building this life. And you know what? The truth is we all have limited time here and we all know it, but we don't all realize it. It's it's not something that you taste until you taste it. Do you know what I mean? And, And it's like having that taste of, you may not have much time here, we don't know, you know, it changes you. It does. It changes you and it changes the way you see the world and it sucks. But at the same time, I don't want to lose that because I feel like it's a gift. And, um, I don't, that's the part of the fear that I want to hold on to is like, there's that little piece of like, I don't want to be scared every day that the cancer is going to come back, but I do want to be fearful that I'm not going to live my fullest life. And just to be aware of that. And, and this is something I just wrote in that article that I had mentioned to you is, is that, I mean, there's two things I want to say about that. One is there's a difference between being alive and feeling alive. And people say to me all the time, you're a survivor. You should be happy. You should be you know, loving your life. And, and you should, you should, you should. I just say, you know what? There's a difference between being alive and feeling alive and that you don't always feel alive after cancer. And you have to remind yourself what brings you joy. And, and listen, I, thank God I'm fortunate enough. I could pay my medical bills. I mean, we've been struck by a ton of medical bills. I wasn't able to work that much this year. So that kind of puts salt in the wound. But I know that there's people out there that, that this levels them, you know, that they can't afford their medical bills and they probably lost their job. And they, now they need to completely rebuild their life with no backing that way. That's so difficult, you know? So I remind myself how lucky I am. And, um, that I, I get to control what my life looks like now, you know? And, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention to you also is, you know, I had done uh, cold capping during chemotherapy, so I didn't lose my hair. I only lost about 30% of my hair, but to the public, nobody would notice that I lost hair. If you know me very well, you say, okay, your hair looks a little thin, whatever, but most people don't know. And what I found is there's like this blessing and this curse with looking good. Right. So, and this is something that's happening right now. People will say most time, you look good. You look good. You look good. <laughs> And so it was important for me to keep my hair if I could, number one, because I wanted control over anything I could have control over in cancer. And, but number two, I didn't want to look sick. I didn't want people to treat me differently. I didn't want my daughter to be scared. I didn't, I just felt if I had a look in the mirror, it wouldn't benefit me. Everybody's different. Some people like to take control and buzz their head and say, okay, this is my sort of control. Everybody's different. But for me, I felt like if I could keep my hair, I want to keep my hair. And the truth is, if you look good, people are more comfortable. And it's such, it's such a weird thing because now people say, well, you look good, you look good. And it, it's sort of that protection. Like I don't have to admit that I'm not if I look good. Wow. Um, so I think it's a blessing and a curse because I think people sometimes probably thought I wasn't as sick as maybe I was because I still had my hair. I didn't look sick. Right. So they would sort of go, Oh, she's good. She's all right. You know, she's doing great but I was in bed crying all day, you know, but they don't know that part of it. So there's a, there's sort of just that stigma. Like I want to let people know also that I say all the time, like if somebody just bangs into you and you're like, Oh, you're so obnoxious or they honk at you and they're, or they're having a bad day and they take it out on you just to have peace and sympathy with people because you never know what's going on in their lives. You know, to everybody else in the world, I look like just an average person. Nobody would have known I had cancer if I was walking around on the street at that time. So just some sensitivity to people and just grace to other people, even when they're not nice to you or they're having a bad day because you never really know what somebody's going through. That's very true. I'm really glad you brought that up. I There is so much deep. There's so much more of a deeper 
there's so much we can get into. And even as you say that, it brings up so much. But you're right, the blessing and the curse of you know, even going through keeping your hair. I never really thought about that. Well, I want to talk about your mountain because you're building a pretty phenomenal mountain. Mm-hmm. So I want to let everybody know and share with everybody what you're doing now because you are powerful. You're turning this around and passionate. And I know you still have your bad days and I know you're still coping. But let people know what's where to find you and where they can read up about you. And I'm, I'm going to put everything in the show notes as well. Yeah. Awesome. So, well, on Facebook, I am uh, Jennifer Goldberg Rosenbaum, most Jewish name ever, but I like it. I embrace it. Uh, but Rosenbaum is with a Z just so everybody knows. But if you want to find me um, and you can watch a lot of my videos there as well as YouTube, I'm just Jen Rosenbaum on YouTube. Um, but if you want to essentially find me, jenrosenbaum.com is the best place to go because everything will be... I'm working on grouping everything there. And from there, you can find my photography page. You can find... I do a lot of um, speaking and educating for photographers that will be on there as well. But I think mostly what will appeal to your listeners is they will be um, a... And this is something that we're working on and I'm hoping will be up by the time this podcast comes out. Shamelessly feminine. I, you know, My tagline for my photography business is every woman should celebrate her unique femininity shamelessly. And so shamelessly feminine came out of that. We use the hashtag shamelessly feminine a lot. And it's sort of taken on its own movement. And that movement is really for kick-ass women who need a kick in the ass. So shamelesslyfeminine.com will be coming soon. You can I will give you a link that you can post in the show notes of a Facebook group that we have of the women in there. And it appeals right now primarily to women entrepreneurs who, um, like me, are trying to make the most out of their life and live a full life and work for yourself and raise a family sometimes if that's your choice. And if not, that's okay too. But we deal with all sorts of like work balance issue, work-life balance and getting rid of the fear and flipping the script in your mind about what you're capable of and manifestation and all sorts of cool things. And so I will also have a podcast, Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. And again, it's... Yay, pretty- another podcaster. Yay. I love it. Yay. <laughs> um, and it's for, for stories of women who very much like your podcast, but in a little bit of a different way, have really... They talk about their businesses and their lives and what they do and how they got to that point. And just meant to inspire other women to live live who they really are shamelessly. So all of that is is sort of taken on a life of its own. And if I hadn't gotten sick this year, it would probably be you know, this huge thing. But because I did, we took a little back burner. So we're, we're working on it now. And I'm writing a book that will be out in January, tentatively called Shamelessly Feminine. We might change the title. But um, so there's a lot of great stuff coming for me. And, um, you know, I had somebody, I did a, I did a Reiki session. So a friend of mine had come over right after my surgery and she said, can I do Reiki on you? And I said, okay. And she said to me, you know, I just want to let you know, it kept coming to me that this is not happening to you. This is happening for you. And I say that to myself every single day. And I want to be able to pay that back to all of the women of the world. So I hope that everything that I do will help women be better, be stronger, be healthier, and just live their fullest lives. Well, Jen, I thank you so much for sharing your light and sharing your vulnerability with everybody and keep doing what you're doing. And those mountains are just going to grow. And someone out there is listening that really needs to hear this. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Namaste. Namaste. 
Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I don't take it lightly that you tune in each and every week. And thank you so much for tuning in for Trouble to Triumph. We had some really amazing, amazing ladies. And thank you for tuning in for the last six weeks. As I close Trouble to Triumph, I want to honor each and every woman, not only the women that showed up for Trouble to Triumph, but you, each woman, each day, to know to put ourselves first, to listen to our bodies, to listen to that inner voice, and to listen to our spirit. I know that we are powerful, powerful beyond measure, and we are called to a beautiful, beautiful life. So embrace it. Thank you so much for being a part of the series, and thank you so much for listening to the Intuitive Women Podcast. Have a beautiful day. Many blessings. Mm